Omajana Tumanandasya Janajana Salakaya Chakshon Militanyena Tasmaki Guruvedamaha Vajakaptu Vishya Kripasindavevacha Patitanam Pavane Bhyovaishnavajya Dhamonamaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naramchaiva Narutmam Devim Sarasatim Vyasam Todayam Udirayat Nastapriyeshu Aviyeshu Nicham Bhagavat Sevaya Bhagavachutama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Nastiki So good evening everyone. We are speaking on Srila Jiva Goswami Sandarva. We will conclude the discussion of the ten topics of the Bhagavatam with the 63rd Anucheda in the Tatvasandarbha, which is its last, and then uh, a little bit of review of, of how Srila Jiva Goswami presented the information in the Tatvasandarbha as a groundwork for the whole presentation, understanding that Tatvasandarbha is the first of four Sandarbhas, the first four Sandarbhas, Tatva, um, Bhagavat, Paramatma and Krishna Sandarbha that constitute Sambandagyan. Then Jiva go on, goes forward and introduces the Bhakti Sandarbha, which is dealt with uh, Abhideya, the practice, and finishes with the Preeti Sandarbha, which is specifically about the goal, Prayojan, of pure unalloyed devotional service. In Jiva Goswami's presentation of the topics of the Bhagavatam, he informs us that these ten topics of the Bhagavatam are what constitutes a major Purana. He's already established in the first half of the Tattvasandarbha that the Srimad Bhagavatam is the topmost spotless Purana and the the true, the truly highest presentation of spiritual life available to us at this time. And he gave considerable evidence from other Vedic literatures. So when we talk about Srimad Bhagavatam and its spotless nature, we're talking about a Purana dealing with the subject of the Supreme absolute truth with no mixture of human activity less than pure devotion, kevala bhakti, topmost goal for humanity. What we're specifically talking about in Srimad Bhagavatam, what's being presented is prem bhakti, the goal of, of attaining unalloyed love for the Supreme Lord. The Vedas in general deal with the upliftment of humanity in every way possible. We have artha, dharma, karma, moksa, and these are presented thoroughly throughout the Vedas in order to, from our perspective, from the Gaudiya perspective, to simply attract humanity into faithfulness in the message that's given in the Vedas. So how do we develop faith? We, de we, we develop faith by trying something out, basically. 
whatever it is, we, we put it to the test. We test our faith uh, because faith means conviction. So we test our convictions. Does she love me or does she not love me? And we, we test that out. And over time, we hope we made the right choice or whatever it may be in life. Life independent of faith is a life independent of aspiration. If there's no faith, if there's no, no confidence in the goal and the means of attainment of that goal, then what is the question of even having life? I mean, everything. Look at anything that anyone would aspire to and there has to be faith in the result. If you want to be a businessman, you have faith, you, you find a university, and you have confidence, if I pay these people to educate me, I'm going to walk away with enough knowledge to be able to make a living in business or whatever I pursue. So we don't work for years, even in, in academics as a student, simply for a piece of paper. We hope that we can get a job. The piece of paper may open the door, but we hope that we learned enough that we can maintain that position. So, so it is with spiritual life. So the Vedas are all about confirmation of faith. They give formulas. What do you want in life? Arta, Dharma, Kama, Moksha. Here's a formula. Do you want a son? Okay. There's a formula in the Vedas. Seek it out. Do you want do you want mystic powers? Well, there's a formula. There's a procedure, there's a practice, there's a yoga. Follow this path and follow the sutras based on that path and you should be able to attain those mystic opulences. Of course, the higher your goal, the harder you're going to have to work because this is the material world. And becoming a mystic yogi is not something that just anybody can walk in off the street and sit down in a yoga studio and walk out and uh, become smaller and the smallest, attain anything they want, go anywhere that they want, control other people's minds. What to speak of controlling other people's minds? Kali Yuga, who can control their own mind. But So faith, faith is there to build up faith in, in the formulations that are provided in the Vedic literatures. And to, ha and to have faith in the knowledge that's presented in the Vedic literatures. To have faith in the whole system of the cosmic manifestation. Which brings me to what we're discussing now. At the end of the Tattvasandarbha, Jiva Goswami is he's saying, now let's take a macrocosmic approach to understanding the supreme absolute truth. We're going to take this approach by looking at the ten subjects that are contained within a major Purana, which are presented in the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is a Mahapurana. If we look to those subjects that are presented, 
we can see that such spiritual literatures as the Srimad Bhagavatam give us a rather comprehensive viewpoint of our living situation. And they give us a deeper understanding of the world that we're currently living in. So we look to these subjects. Ten simple topics. Sarga, Visarga, Stana, Posana, Uti, Manvantara, Isanu, Katha, Niroda, Mukti, and Ashraya. Or as Sutta Goswami, using a little different terminology, instead of Stana, he uses Vritti, and his uh, verses, his verse, and his explanation. Remember, both Sukadeva Goswami and Sutta Goswami, in explaining the ten topics of the Bhagavatam, they not only give a verse which gives a concise explanation of the ten topics, but then both of them go forward and explain each individual item. In subsequent verses, they're comprehensive teachers. And this is just the summary. And then if we read the entire work of the Bhagavatam, these things will come out. Not necessarily, in fact, not at all, in a chronological, systematic, one canto deals with this one subject with a couple of exceptions, which we went over. But generally, these topics come up throughout the Bhagavatam. Posana, protection, or raksha. Uti, or hetu, creative impetus. Manvantara, or vamsa, changes of manus. Isanukatha, vamsa nucharita, science of God. Now, when we discussed Sukadev Goswami's verse, and we came to this Isanukatha, we were talking about specifically the Lord's various incarnations. And by those incarnations, what's he do? Yadahi, Yadahi, Dharma, Shah. He establishes or reestablishes Dharma for the benefit of human society. Now, Sutta Goswami's explanation, his verses, at the end of the Srimad Bhagavatam, in the 12th canto, he speaks more of not the Supreme Personality of Godhead himself establishing Dharma, but of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the various saints, sages, kings, and their families who keep up sad dharma, the supreme dharma, within human society, like the Pandavas, like the Kurus before them, like the Yadus, these families, these great lineages coming from the sun and the moon even, two great dynasties there, which Krishna and Ram were born into. So sometimes... Krishna comes himself, sometimes he empowers worldly administrators to, to maintain Dharma. That's what this specifically is referring to, the maintenance of Dharma, the necessity of 
giving protection in a proper social order under spiritual direction. There's a system. It's not followed well today. It's a bad time for man. We have a hard time even putting our mind around it. We know some hints of what it's like. We can read, but instituting Varnashram Dharma to keep everything in balance. And what happens when the balance isn't kept in balance? What happens when somebody marries up or somebody marries down? What can we expect from that? These are standards in society that are difficult for us to put our mind around because there's no families of kings. There's no families of sages. I mean, none. It's not that there's none, but overall, they don't exist. But this kingly ruling whether by, as I said, the Lord's personal advent or as these great dynasties of kings maintained Dharma under proper direction. There were Brahmins, real Brahmins, who could direct the kings and make sure that they didn't get off course. And when they got off course, the Brahmins were powerful enough to dispatch the kings. They knew. We can read in the Bhagavatam got a little carried away with himself. If you're doing sacrifice, do them for me. I'm the king of the world. You don't need to do these sacrifices for a god. I'm your god. I'm the king. You don't need to listen to the Brahmins. I'm in, I'm in charge here. Hiranyakasipu. These things happen. It's not that we're the only people that are being subjugated by irresponsible leaders. It happens again and again. And it's coming up now in our very time. And we're scared to death. What's the future hold? Imagine. I mean, we can see in our own selves. We're removed. We live in the country. We feel somewhat comfortable. But damn it, just open your eyes and it's like, what the hell does the future hold for humanity now on the face of this planet? It's a scary situation. Thank God we have Krishna. Thank Krishna we have God. Because we need a shelter. But in regular human society, except in these Kali Yugas, where everybody, just everything goes off the rails, there's a nice system set up. And you can depend on the king to keep the order and be fair and be honest and keep all the enterprise, all the artha and the inner, inner relationships between, between consumer and vendor, supplier, uh, well-balanced. But we can see what happens when that doesn't happen, when there isn't that administration. So this is Isanukatha or Vamsanucharita. This is what this means. This balance, this sad-dharma, saintly people telling administrative heads how to, how to properly conduct the affairs within society in accordance with scriptural injunction. Otherwise, what do you have? Just exploitation. And when's it end? It doesn't. Once you go down that road, and once the rogues and the thieves come in and can steal with reckless abandon, do you think they're going to stop on their own? 
Krishna says, yada yada hi dharma When dharma gets so far off, I have to I have to set it right myself. Of course, to read the Bhagavatam today and see how far it's how long it's going to be till he comes in with this whatever it is. It's a long time away. But we come before that. He can do anything. Yes, we agree with that standard. He can do anything. We also accept Shastra and the systematic appearance. If you can cry out seriously enough, Krishna can pop out of a pillar. It also depends on who's calling. Naroda or Samsta, dissolution. Mukti, Samsta again, according to Sutta Goswami, which is what we ended on last week and where we begin this week. Liberation, an ashraya, a pashraya, the supreme shelter. To the 63rd and last Anucheda. So we ended speaking about samsta, is the first part of the <clears throat> 63rd Anucheda. There are four types of cosmic dissolution. Anybody remember that? Continuous. Nitya. There's Brahmas at the end of his day. That's called occasional. Namitika. And Jiva, in commenting on this verse, says that there's evidence in Shastra there is an occasional dissolution, Namitika, not only at the end of every day of Brahma, but also at the end of the, every reign of a Manu. Manus reside for a period of 71 yuga cycles. So there'll be a dissolution at the end of a day, but there'll be 14 dissolutions, or I guess 13 because the last one would be coincide with Brahmas. 14 of those come in a day of Brahma. Those particular reigns, 1,000 yuga cycles is Brahma's lifespan, and 71 Yuga cycles is the reign of one Manu. 14 times 71, you get the same 1,000. All right, the other is a total dissolution. Prakrita. That's when? That's when Brahma's done. The whole creation, one specific universe is wrapped up. Is that his 100 years? That's his 100 years, right each year being 365 days. It's a long, long time to us. It's 100 years to Brahma. And the other uh, dissolution is Nitya, every moment. At every moment there's a dissolution happening somewhere. Right now, one of the cells in your body is dying. Right now, someone's cooking something and a living entity's dying. Someone's cleaning at every moment, there's a dissolution of a material situation. There's the cosmic situation and there's the personal situation. Constantly dissolution going on. It's the material world. It's the land of birth and death. Death is, dissolution is constantly there. And yantika dissolution. And that's a special dissolution. That's when one jiva dissolves 
their material involvement. When will that day be ours? When we end all karmic involvement. We're able not to be forced by Krishna's external energy to again take birth in one womb or another, in one life form or another. A repetition that's been going on without a beginning, a naughty. There was not a time that we were not taking birth again and again and again. In so many universes, there's no tracing it out. Four types of dissolution. In discussing this particular, his particular explanation of the ten topics of the Bhagavatam, Sutta Goswami, he deals with mukti in talking of dissolution, because that's one of the four dissolutions. When a jiva dissolves all karmic involvement, all material affairs. Then we go to Hetu. Hetu from Sukade Goswami was what? Uti, creative impulse. And we've said that our creative impulse is Artha Dharma Karma. And where's one other? Artha Dharma Karma. There is also an impetus to end our karma. That is also there. Artha, Dharma, Kama, and Moksha. To attain liberation, to put everything to an end. And it appears like those spiritualists are also engaging in worldly affairs, but they're not. But to the other materialists, they would say, well, they look, they're yogis, they're trying to be liberated, but they're, they're controlling their breath. That's a material activity. They're controlling their mind. They're controlling their senses. How can you become spiritual by employing material ends to attain spiritual goals? Well, that's the science of transcendence. The same question comes up in relationship to the, to the Veda. Maharaj Pariksit asking Sukadeva Goswami, how can the Supreme, who has no material qualities, be explained by the world, words of the world, which are, well, they're not spiritual world words. And there's a wonderful explanation there for us to study, that actually, yes, the Lord can he can, with his potency, make what appears to be material, spiritual. He can enter into a material form and accept our service first, firsthand. So these are the mysteries of the mystics. The materialists will never appreciate them, will never understand them, unless what? They develop a little faith. Well, when they want a son... And a saint says, okay, I can bless you with this son. Do this, this, and this. For one year, you fast on these days, and you, you know, do this, and we'll have a fire sacrifice, and send, spend the money, and give away some cows. And, you, and the materialist, well, 
been trying for a son now for a decade and haven't had any luck. Hey, I might as well try this. What do I got to lose? So he goes for it. And guess what? It works. It's like, wow, what else is in these books? What else is there? What else can I have? I want another wife. Okay, well, okay. <laughs> I want to go to heaven. All right, that's possible. I want to be a mystic yogi. Okay. Might take a little bit more work than just uh, this. But you, it's possible. Well, if the if all that's possible, maybe I should see what's the best thing I should ask for. What's the What do these books recommend is for the intelligent, the most intelligent person, what should they ask for? And then, then that spiritual inquiry, then that inquiry, that's exactly what the Vedas are there for. It's a bait and switch type of thing. You bait them with what they want in material life and you switch them to God. You switch them to the Supreme because that's really what they want. They just don't know it. The verse from the Bhagavatam in this regard, we touched upon the explanation. Out of ignorance, the living being, Jiva, becomes identified as the performer of action. That's easy enough to understand. And in this sense is the cause, Hetu, of the creation, maintenance, and destruction of the universe. In this sense, meaning, well, quite Quite simply, if there were no jivas that had material desire, there'd be no material creation. Now, that's never going to happen because there's unlimited jivas, <laughs> there's unlimited desires, but that's what this verse from Sutta Goswami is saying. In this sense is the cause, Hetu, of the creation, maintenance, and destruction of the universe. In this regard, some authorities refer to the jiva as anusai, the empirical self having consequences attached to its acts from which it is temporarily disconnected during the period of dissolution. There's a constant planting of the seed of desire in our heart, a constant fructification of that Desire, and, it, and that's referred to as parabda karma, we're now enjoying the fruits of our desires, then we move on to another. This goes on all the time except when? At the time of cosmic dissolution. At the time of cosmic dissolution, we're not desiring anything. There's no field of activity. Krishna's wrapped it up. At that time, there's no wakefulness, there's no dreaming, and there's no deep sleep. None of, none of that is there. The jiva is, is completely placed in suspended animation. When he looks away from the material creation, then there's no activity. So that's this verse is speaking of that. That this happens, this continual planting of the seeds of desire and fulfillment and replanting and the material nature is fulfilling those desires. Sometimes they even require a change of body 
one sense you become so overwhelmed with material natures, okay, and there's no way to fulfill that without giving another body. You're so attached throughout life to a particular, particular drive, a particular desire on your part. Maybe that desire takes you to a heavenly planet. Maybe it takes you to a hellish planet. Maybe it gives you another human form, but in a different environment to fulfill. You wanted to be a, you know, a Beethoven so bad that you're born a prodigy Beethoven. But you could never write a piece of music during your whole life, the prior life. But you wanted it, and you worked towards it, and you tried and you failed and you never, but the desire was so strong in you that material nature lets you fulfill that. And sometimes the desires are so off base. My desire is simply to exploit other people and take their lives, become a man killer, a man eater, a cannibal. Well, okay, that's fine. You really want that? Yes. And you prove it through a lifetime of murder and and destruction of other people's lives. Material nature, really, you called nature, and nature called back, and here you are now. Better you have a life. You fall down from the human form of life, from a nice environment, a place where you could actually think for yourself, and you become a not entirely mindless, but you don't have an, an intellect. Everything becomes driven by senses at that stage. A lion, a tiger, go, kill, eat, maim, wreck havoc, roar loudly. We have consequences, the empirical self having consequences attached to its acts from which it is temporarily disconnected during the period of dissolution. While others refer to it as avyakrita, the same empirical self no longer disconnected from its self-imposed designations, upadis, at the inception of creation, thus becoming instrumental in bringing forth the creation. Needless to say, it just means that the jiva sometimes is credited with creating a universe because the Lord is simply heitu, that creative impetus, has brought us to the point of unfulfilled desire, the Lord says, okay, let's go on. Krishna speaks a little of it in the Bhagavad Gita. In relationship to material nature, apare yamitas twanyam prakritim vidime param jiva bhuta maha baho yeyedam daryate jagat. Besides these, O mighty armed Arjuna, there is another superior energy of mine. He just spoke about Earth, water, fire, air, ether. Besides these, there's a superior energy of mine. And this is where Krishna touches upon the fact that the jiva is keeping the universe going, which comprises the living entities who are exploiting the resources of this material inferior nature. Jiva makes a very important point in the Paramatmas and Dharma regarding Hetu and creation. He makes the point that Bhagavan's ultimate purpose in facilitating the emergence of the material world is to enable the jivas to attain bhakti. Bhagavan's ultimate purpose 
is to give the jivas the opportunity to attain bhakti and thus accept liberation from the cycle of repeated birth and death. So this is covered comprehensively in the Paramatma Sandarbha Anucheta 93. Which brings us to the last and final item of the ten is Ashraya. Or, in the words of Sutta Goswami, uh, he uses Apashraya. Meaning that there are some foundations for everything which aren't God. And those we could use Ashraya for. The shelter, there's Ashraya. But there's only one, Apashraya. Apashraya. And that is the Supreme Godhead. Because His shelter is transcendental. Apa. In relationship to the material energy Bhagavad is completely aloof, Paramatma is witness and regulates activities of both the jivas and maya, but neither has physical contact or is influenced by maya. Bhagavan is completely aloof from material nature, and Paramatma, he's the witness and the regulator. And this point, this dis- point of distinction between Bhagavan and Paramatma. Grasping this point and understanding it deeply is presented the explanations necessary for this deep understanding in the Paramatma Sandarbha. We need to take advantage because there's some a little bit of discussion here in finishing up again from Sutta Goswami his verse in giving some more consideration to Ashraya. He says, when the conscious being abandons its identification, when the conscious being abandons its identification with the three phenomenal states of wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep, either through self-study or through regulated spiritual practice, it then becomes aware of the supreme eminent self, Paramatma, and withdraws from material endeavor. So two specific methodologies can be employed uh, to attain spiritual awareness. One is by studying deeply the nature of the self. We call that jnana, and the other is bhakti. And we have our reasons to think that of the two, bhakti gives the most immediate result and the deeper understanding. But we should not discount the jnana. We have serious jnana to establish within our intellect to progress nicely even in bhakti. Sambandha jnana. Sambanda, the nature of our relationship with the Supreme and the, our nature of our relationship with His various energies, both extrinsic and intrinsic. That, that will serve our spiritual advancement well. One last thing is mentioned here. The jiva becomes involved in the nine stages of life. Conception, gestation, birth, infancy, childhood, youth, maturity, old age, and death. 
fluctuating states of awareness. And then he concludes the Tattvasandarbha with this statement. Thus ends Tattvasandarbha. This is Jiva Goswami Prabhupada. The first book of the Bhagavat Sandarbha, or Satsandarbha, is the way we refer, which was written under the instruction of Srila Rupa Goswami and Sri Sanatan Goswami. The revered leaders of the Royal Assembly of World Vaishnavas. They are unalloyed servants of the lotus feet of the Supreme Lord, Sri Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the purifier of the jivas in Kali Yuga, who descended to distribute the benediction of his own devotional worship. And that concludes the Tattvasandarva. Are there any questions? Just thank you for getting us enthusiastic about hearing this and learning it. Well, thank you for keeping me enthused to learn it. <laughs> I'm more a student than a teacher, that's for sure. Thank you so much for your association. Yes. Hare Krishna.